You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. They lose sight of who put them there in the first place. They lose sight of whose salvation it was, and they become puffed up. We're going to see this with King Saul. King Saul starts to take himself very seriously, start to think that he has something to do with what's going on instead of God. I see this so many times. Instead of remaining humble and getting on our knees before God, instead of knowing that it's God who has called us, God who has anointed us, and God who has enabled us to do the work, it's as though we fail to stay in touch with the Holy Spirit through faith. It can be difficult to keep a proper perspective when we get wrapped up in our feelings or our pride, and we often lose sight of how God's working in our life. But Pastor Dave is here to ask us today, who do you give victory to? Don't think so much of yourself that you believe you can achieve God's work without His help. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11 as he begins his message, The King Acts Valiantly. You are First Samuel 11, 1 Samuel 1, 1. I'm going to read the whole thing through just to um, help us out here. First Samuel 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes, and bring reproach to all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibreth of Saul and told the news in the hearing of all the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him, the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, The children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers of who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No man shall be put to death this day. 
For today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Though all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Samuel and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. We've been studying that Israel has rejected God and his rule over them. They demanded a king. God wanted to be their all in all. He wanted to be their king. And although God warned Israel about the nature of a king, they still demanded one. So God used the prophet Samuel and revealed his choice for king to him. It was Saul, the Benjamite, the son of Kish, who was a wealthy man. Samuel meant the man who would be king as he was looking for his donkeys. Saul's father's donkeys had ran away, and he went looking for them, and it was all arranged by God so that he could meet Samuel. After their talk and their dinner, Samuel took Saul before the Lord and anointed him with oil, saying, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And basically, Saul became king at that time, when he was anointed by God, when he was anointed with oil. During that time, the Lord assured Saul of three things. Number one, that he would be with him. He would always be with him. He would always be there. Number two, that he would provide for him. God would provide for Saul. And number three, that God would empower him by his Holy Spirit to do the work that God had called him to do. And these were very three assurances that Saul had as he went into this kingship. When it was all said and done, Saul returned home. And when he was home, he didn't tell anybody about the fact that he was now king of Israel. He kept it to himself. After seven days, Samuel the prophet called all of Israel to Mizpah, and all the tribes assembled. And Samuel called out the tribes one by one, and he came to the tribe of Benjamin. He came to the family Matri, and he came to the son of Kish, Saul. And he was deemed king. And although Saul was in hiding... He eventually came forth, and he was declared king of all Israel in front of all the group. Samuel explained the behavior of royalty. In fact, he wrote it in a book. And then Samuel dismissed them, and everybody went to their own house. The last thing we read is that Saul went home, and valiant men followed him. A group of men loved him and followed him, and they wanted to preserve his life, and they wanted to keep him separate from others and be to him the protectors and guardians of the kingship. Men wanted to serve him as king and protect him. But there were also those who despised him. There were also those who despised him as being king, and they kept on saying, how can this man save us? But Saul conducted himself wisely, and he held his peace. He never said a word against these men, showing great restraint. This is one of the few times when Saul is actually really relying on God. So as we come now to chapter 11, everyone is home in their respective tribes. They're all doing their work, and they're all living their own lives. Saul is home once again, too. He's working in his father's field. And as we look at verse 1, something happens. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabez-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. It's interesting that back in Judges 11... Specifically in verse 33, the people of Ammon, the Ammonites, were subdued by the Israelites when Jephthah was the judge over them. He was the judge at that time. So now we have 90 years later, 90 years have passed, and the Ammonites now want their land back. 
So they come against these people of Jabesh Gilead, and they're under the power or the leadership of this guy, Nahash. God is going to use this to accomplish a purpose. He's going to use this time to establish Saul as king of Israel. Remember, one of the reasons the people wanted a king was so that he could lead them in the battle. One of the things they said to God, give us a king so he can lead us in battle over our enemies. Well, this is the first test for the new king. God will give Saul an opportunity to prove himself, and he will give him an opportunity to consolidate all of Israel now under his authority as king. God had given Israel what they wanted, a good-looking, tall king, one who looked marvelous, darling. He looked wonderful. To the eye, he was a beaut, and he would draw men to himself. He looked like a natural warrior. It's extremely sad when we place all our hopes and dreams upon a man. It's sad. Instead of trusting in the Lord, who has proven himself time and time and time again. But we put our faith and we put our hope in man. And it's one thing I've learned is man will always fail you. But God will never fail you. God is always the same. He's always true. Men will fail you. And this scares me. I'm scared because of our country. Because there's a man in the White House who seems to be bringing God back in the White House. And I believe that a lot of people now are putting their faith and their hope in him. The man, Donald Trump. Now, whether you voted for him or not, he's the president of the United States. But he is a man of like flesh and like mind. Don't ever put your faith in a man. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is where we have our faith, and that is what we need to do. Many people who voted for him think just because he mentioned God a few times that everything's going to be different. But don't put your faith in him, please. Put your faith in God. We know that Jabesh Gilead is some 50 miles from where Saul lived. In fact, if you remember correctly, it's on the other side of the Jordan with Gad, Manassas, or the half a tribe of Gad, Manassas, and Reuben on the other side. But instead of trusting God, these guys go out and they ask to make a covenant with the guy. They want to make a peace treaty with the guy. We'll serve you. We'll serve you. Just don't destroy us. We're going to serve you. One commentator I read says, instead of humbling themselves before God and confessing the sins that brought them into trouble, they put God altogether aside and basically offered to become servants of the Ammonites. It's a sad place when we put God on the side and offer to serve this man, Nahash. Look what happens in verse 2. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach to all Israel. Why did Nahash make this demand? Of all the things he could have demanded, why did he want to put out their eyes? Why did he want to do this? Well, I've got three reasons. First of all, he wanted to humiliate them. He, he wanted to humiliate them before God and all of Israel. And half-blinding these men would bring a reproach to all of Israel. They would look weak, and they would be able to prevent such an atrocity. Secondly, he wanted to make the men of Jabesh unable to fight effectively in battle. In hand-to-hand combat, a man with one eye has no depth perception. So you can't see where the swords are coming from. You might be dodging something and walk right into a sword. It's a disadvantage for someone who only has one eye. And secondly, I found out, in fact, Bill told me this in one of his studies, 
When they put up their shields, there was a little hole in the shield that they looked out of with their right eye. So if they right eye was put out, how are they going to look out of their shields? They're going to be off kelter. They're going to be cattywampus. They're going to be in trouble. There's a similarity here where I'm going with this. There's a similarity between our spiritual enemy, Satan, and Nahash, the enemy of Israel. There's a great similarity because his name means serpent or snake. That's the first similarity. Satan attacks us but cannot do anything against us without our agreement. And he asks for us to surrender to him. He asks us to make a covenant with him. Satan wants us to serve him and will attempt to intimidate us to giving in to him. Satan wants to humiliate us and exalt himself over us. And through humiliating one saint, Satan wants to bring reproach to all of God's people. That's why his main target is pastors and leaders, people in hierarchy of churches, because they become a reproach to everybody. When you look out and you see these things happening to Christian leaders and stuff like that, and they fall, and it brings a reproach to all Christianity. Satan knows that. Satan wants to take away your ability to fight and effectively come against him. And he wants to blind us. He, he, he wants to blind us so we can't see effectively. And he, he wants to put a spiritual blindness on our eyes. But we're victorious in Jesus Christ. He is where our victory is. We have victory only in one place, and that's Jesus Christ. But we constantly see the sad effect of sin and careless living. Sin causes us to lower our spirits. Sin causes us to zap our courage, and it discourages us and keeps us bound. We can't break free because of sin. One commentator said this, Oh, it is pitiful to see men tamely submitting to a vile master. Yet how often is the sight repeated? How often two men virtually say to the devil, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. It's scary because we do have an enemy. We do wrestle against principalities of darkness. We do wrestle against those who are against us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You have an enemy. He's ever, ever ready to take you down, ever waiting to get you so that you can be a reproach to those who are Christian, your family, your friends. In verse 3, the elders asked Nahash if he can wait for seven days while they send messengers out. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. It's interesting here because, again, if you go back to Judges 21, In Judges 21, when there was a call for the nation to come against the wickedness of Benjamin, all the nation came except who? Jabesh. Many think that this is why they let him go. This is why they said, yeah, sure, go ahead and call the nation. Because we remember the time when you didn't come out to help them. You think they're going to come and help you? Go ahead. Go do that. See, again, this is how Satan attacks us. He attacks your past performances. He attacks your past failures, and he brings them ever before your eyes and wants you to rehash them in your mind. He wants you to look at them and rehash them to keep you down, to discourage you, so that you're looking at those past circumstances and those past faux pas and those past failures that you've had, and he wants to bring those before your eyes. An old, old, old bumper sticker. 
When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. We know the end of the book. Sorry, buddy, you lose. You lose. Amen. It's interesting here, though. They called for help, but they never asked for Saul. They never asked for Samuel, the prophet, to pray for them and ask God's mercy upon them that God would do a miracle. No, they didn't do that. Remember back when just in 1 Samuel, when Samuel prayed and the Philistines were defeated? No, they didn't come to Samuel. No, instead, they send messengers. They send messengers in verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibbeth of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Notice they still didn't go to Saul. They went into the town and they made this loud announcement. Were they not trusting in Saul as king? Were they not trusting in him so far? Remember, this is a test for the king. This is a test. But they hear it and they weep. They're grieved. They're mourning for their brothers, their brethren. They're mourning. In verse 5 it says, Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him all the words of the men of Jabesh. Saul receives this message and he's in the fields of his father's house. This is a humble thing for the king to do. He's working in his father's field. He's been anointed king of Israel. And he's been recognized by the nation of Israel as king. But basically he felt like he didn't have anything to do. So he was going to work at his dad's farm. He didn't know where to begin. He didn't know how to set up a royal kingdom. He didn't know how to set up anything like that. He's never been that way before. They've never had a king before. I hope he was just figuring that if he went back to work, God would call him and tell him what time was right. Many think it was wise for him to go back to the farm. He knew the Lord would raise him up. He knew the Lord was going to take care of him. He didn't have to promote himself on a scheme on his behalf. The Lord would do it. And I think this is great because you get a great picture of someone who starts out very well. Saul starts out great. Saul, the king of Israel, starts out like a house of fire. He's a great king at first. He really starts out well. It's impressive. It's so sad that many start out well in ministry. They start out well serving the Lord. Start out well after they've been born again. They're so on fire. They're, yeah. They go around, they witness to everybody in town, and they're so on fire for the Lord. Somehow, whether it be pride or flesh or both, it comes into their lives, and all of a sudden they see themselves as something that they're not. They think they have something to do with where they are. They lose sight of who put them there in the first place. They lose sight of whose salvation it was, and they become puffed up. We're going to see this with King Saul. King Saul starts to take himself very seriously, starts to think that he has something to do with what's going on instead of God. I see this so many times. Instead of remaining humble and getting on our knees before God, instead of knowing that it's God who has called us, God who has anointed us, and God who has enabled us to do the work, it's as though we fail to stay in touch with the Holy Spirit through faith and humility. I see this a lot in ministry. It's scary. It's very sad. Verse 6 is an important verse. Verse 6 is an extremely important verse because we see, once again, Saul is empowered to do the work that God has called him to do. Six, the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he had heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. Remember, in Old Testament times, God gave out the Spirit as he wills. It's different now. When we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit within us, but we still need the power. You still need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But you still need the power. It was time for Saul to act. And God was with Saul, so God sent his Spirit upon Saul. But it didn't come to entertain him. It didn't come to thrill him, to give him goosebumps. It came to equip him for service. The Holy Spirit equips you for service. It equips you to edify the body, to raise the body up towards Christ. The Holy Spirit witnesses Jesus Christ to others. If you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. That's why Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the power, dunamis, dynamite, the dynamic power that was going to come upon you when the Holy Spirit falls on you. Witnesses, that was what the Lord provided for them after he ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit fell upon Saul. The Hebrew word is all, A-L. That's the Hebrew word for coming upon. It's the same thing that it means in the Greek. It came over him and empowered him. It gave him the power to do that thing. Many of us lack the power. Many of us lack the power because we haven't submitted and asked the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We've said this time and time again. At Calvary Chapel, we believe in three distinct experiences with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you, para, before you get saved, and he's with you after you get saved. Yes, he is. But he's with you to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then the Holy Spirit, once you're saved, comes in you, in, E-N. He's in you. He's indwelt to lead you into all truth, to conform you into an image of Jesus Christ. And then there's the epi, the epi, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you. He empowers you to do the work that he's called you to do. See, I've always contended, and I can prove this scripturally time and time again, God will never, ever call you to do something that he will not empower you to do. He will always give you the power to do what he's called you to do. Always. If he tells you to go across the street and stick your head in the mailbox and yell Jesus with all your might, he's going to give you the guts and the power to do that because he has a purpose in that. He has a purpose to do that. And you know that story. You've heard it from me. God will always give you the power to do that. When you want to, when you want to witness to your downstairs neighbor, and he tells you to go downstairs to witness to your neighbor, and you struggle against that, and you fight against that, and you don't want to go because you're unsure of yourself. But the Lord keeps pounding on you to go downstairs and talk to your neighbor. You go downstairs and talk to your neighbor. And you make a deal with him. And you say, Lord, I'm going to go downstairs. And if he's on the porch, I'll talk to him. So you go downstairs, hoping like heck he's not on the porch. (laughs) And you walk around the corner and guess what? He's sitting right there. And you walk up to him and you go, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you, but I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus loves you more than anything. And he went to tears. He went to tears. That was just what he needed to hear. I did it. That was me I was talking about. And the Holy Spirit asks you to do something. He will empower you to do it. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. 
find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.